You're listening to Sport, Digital and Social with Mr. Richard Clark. My son's 20. I mean, he's absolutely sport mad. And one thing he said to me before I left, you need to be as enthusiastic for Costa Rica v. Switzerland as you will for England v. Brazil. Oh, it's a lot of responsibility as well. I mean, it's a lot of responsibility along the lines of try not to cock it up responsibility. Do you know what I mean? I mean, of course I want the right decisions, but I, you know, I don't want the winning goal in the World Cup final and somebody's dream as they sprint down the touchline to be interrupted by, by somebody, you know, making a square in the air. Hi, Richard Clark here. Now, we've all caught a dose of World Cup fever. I wanted to do a podcast on the topic, decided to phone up Mark Pugach, who's out in Russia presenting for ITV, one of the lead broadcasters here in the UK. But before I introduce Mark, just a reminder, go to my website, mrrichardclark.com, and you'll find my blog, other podcasts, both sport, digital and social, and football Indonesia. You can sign up to my newsletter and all the other content that I create. Anyway, let's get back to the World Cup. Let's get back to Mark and talk journalism, social media, VAR, England's chances, and everything else. We spoke on the morning of the Panama game, by the way. Hello, I'm Mark Pugac. I am ITV's lead presenter at the World Cup and uh, all their football and their rugby union as well and their boxing. I also present for Premier League Productions. That's the Premier League television channel that goes around the world. And I do a show a week for them. I present BT Sports Score on a Saturday at BT, which is a couple of seasons old now. And I worked for BBC Radio 5 Live for 25 years. I still do a day a week there. Uh, so I still do a day and occasional programs for, uh, for BBC 5 Live. And I'm currently in Moscow for the World Cup. Thanks for speaking to us, Mark. How's your World Cup been so far? Well, I think which are treats as you find. I think it's been a terrific World Cup so far. We're 10 days in. I think the football has been surprisingly positive and progressive from teams. I have to say the Russians, and I, because of the nature of television, you tend to stay in the same place because it tends to be studio-based. The Russians in Moscow have been extremely friendly, very pleased to see us. Uh, the, from, from speaking to colleagues around the country, the transportation has worked surprisingly well. In fact, a friend of mine said to me last night, you do know that Aeroflot have got a new fleet of planes because we all know what the stories about Aeroflot were like over the years. Uh, the weather's been good and um, I have to say so far, I think we have all been extremely surprised at the welcome we've had and what Russia's been like. Let's not and anybody be naive about uh, what may be going on beneath the surface, but truth is you find and we're having a very good time. Um, obviously, England are very important to all of us and you're leading... ITV's uh, presentation. Um, how important is it that England have a World Cup? And we're speaking, of course, just ahead of the game against Panama. It's a few hours away. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it is extreme. It is extremely important because because it matters so much, Richard. And I find that enormously heartening at a time when the Champions League has taken on so much of a life of its own and. So often during the Champions League, you hear people saying, oh, well, this is the real stuff. This is better than international football. This is where the real quality is. The best Champions League teams are better than the best um, international teams. That may well be so on some occasions. But um, the BBC got 18 million the other day for England-Tunisia. 
the, the infamous Iceland match in the Euros, which, which was our live game on ITV, we got over 17 million. We've got the last 16 live game, which if, unless England do something absolutely appalling, England will be in that. The, the figures are enormous. It shows the depth of feeling that England, for, still for England and for international football. And I have to tell you, the figures we've had for teams away from that we did Germany Sweden last night a thrilling finish we'll get I reckon we'll get 10-11 million for that we got 11 million for Brazil the other day the, the, so to answer your question it's all two ways it's very important for England of course because it gives great momentum and people want to watch but it's actually it's, it's actually the whole of international football really showing with the figures that we've had that it still has a massive hold and that the World Cup in particular the World Cup there is nothing like it. I'm very lucky. I've worked on five Olympic games. They are brilliant. I love the Olympics. But there is nothing quite like the World Cup. And um, the, uh, the the titles that have been very creatively put together for us on ITV is, is all about the circus. And the, and the ringmaster says at the beginning, welcome to the greatest show on earth. And that's what the World Cup is. How does social media affect you as a presenter in the World Cup? Does it change the narrative? Does it change the input? to um uh to affect your output as it were uh well there are two answers to that one is one is a personal one and one is a, a, a sort of journalist one briefly on the personal one don't start looking for what people say about you that's that's very naive do you know what i mean that is very naive because you know there are plenty of trolls out there so just ignore all that easier said than done and most importantly of all tell your family to ignore all that in terms of the output no i i I think I use social media in the World Cup in the way they use social media back home. It's just an, an, an addendum to, to information. Um, but particularly when the country is so big, you don't know what's going on in Nizhny Novgorod or over in, you know, Yekaterinburg. It can be extremely useful. I mean, I'll give you a tiny little example. I saw something on social media this morning. Someone had posted about the Senegalese team training, and they were all dancing while they're training. And someone said, look at, look at this team. Look how fabulously in tune they are with each other and enjoying their World Cup. That's just a tiny little thing that you can keep at the back of your mind that when you're doing the next Senegal game, you can say, well, quite clearly the spirit in their team is excellent, and I've seen this proof. So uh, it, it's it's a very useful little uh, addendum. And I'll give you another example. I read on social media the other day that the German team, after their first game and they lost to Mexico, were going, uh, the German headline was, I, we wish we had a Harry Kane. And I used that actually in our discussion about England the other day. I went, well, even the Germans are jealous of Harry Kane. Now, that's the sort of thing you wouldn't have known before social media, really, unless you run into a German journalist friend of, of yours uh, or, or somebody had told you by some other means. What about VAR? What about the, the TV side of it? Um, how's it affected the TV presentation of the game? Because it's been relatively quick, for example, in comparison to, say, MLS or what we've used in England. Uh, teething problems, I think. You know, the Harry Kane wrestling, the Serbian wrestling the other day. Uh, we felt Argentina in the first game, Pavon, we should have had a penalty. I, I, I think from a television point of view, I'm very aware that we must talk about VAR every single time. You know, if I was at home, I would roll my eyes if every conversation were about VAR. But at the same time, it, it is very significant and it's editorially relevant to, to talk about it. I'm a bit confused. I'm a little bit confused. I mean, it worked really well in the Brazil game where Kuypers gave the penalty to Neymar and then 
accepted he'd made his a mistake. Now, that was great. But I'm a little bit confused that they don't appear to be giving the VAR officials enough time to dig out and review the angles that would show exactly what was going on, in which case it should have been a penalty on both occasions. So, I mean, inevitably a little bit of teething problems. Uh, some people are for it, some people are against it. I can't quite work out whether I'm for or against it, Richard, to be honest. But you know what? That doesn't matter because it's here to stay. So there's no point me, you know, worrying about what position I really would like to take. It's not going to go away now, is it? It's here to stay. It's the same as Hawkeye in cricket and tennis and the TMO in rugby. Once they're in, uh, they're in. So I think I, I think it's working pretty well with those couple of those high-profile uh, cases where it didn't. How much preparation do you do ahead of every game? Well, the preparation is really ongoing. I, uh, really, I've, I've, I've always felt this about my career. It, I mean, it's been ongoing since you know since. Since 1978, and the first time I can remember a World Cup. And what I mean by that is, I did Peru the other day, and I remember Peru beating Scotland 3-1 extremely well. And, and uh, you know, the, uh, you know all, all the headlines are around then. It obviously gets more specific as, as we get closer to the game. But I'm not one of those people who absolutely stuffs myself up to the eyeballs with, with stats and prep. You know, uh, you need to know, the, obviously, the major players and the major themes. But... I, I, I prefer I prefer probably to to react to what is going on and to talk about that. I mean, it's a bit. I always sort of compare it to GCSE history. You know, if you're asked a question by about Henry VIII, you can't just throw in the, all all six names of his wives just because you happen to know them. It may not be relevant. Um, you need to know to the back of your mind, but you need to be selective about what you put out there. Yeah, I read an interview with Clive Tilsley um, recently, and he summed it up as his job is to present what is important and to leave out what is not. And that's kind yeah. of what you're saying there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And also, the prep, the prep that you do is then is then finalised by the uh, the pundits you have. So last night I said to uh, Henrik Larsson, I said, "Listen, obviously we'll talk about the Swedish team." You know, are there any particular players you want to talk about? Because you don't have any superstars, you know, like Henrik was himself, or a Freddie Lundberg going back, or obviously an Ibrahimovic. He said, "Yeah, let's just talk about this one player, Ekdal." I said, "Fine." So listen, he says he wants to talk about Ekdal. I don't need to know everything about Ekdal. Just you know, what's his position? And where, you know, where, 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 where does he play his club football? You know, and I have a great big book to do all that. So that's that's the sort of thing I mean by prep. I mean, I think everyone's approach is different, but that's mine. And of course, you've got to manage the discussion. You're in the studio there, pre-post and half-time. You might have three or four people, strong opinions. You want depth, but you've got time constraints as well, especially with ITV being a, being a, a broadcaster with advertisements. So how difficult a juggling job is that? And what principles do you apply? Oh, that, 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 that is a really good challenge. I mean, that is, a, that is probably the biggest challenge I've found at ITV, is to keep it editorially relevant because it must be editorially relevant, but make sure that everybody, if you like, has, has time to speak, and yet, as you said, we've got to go to adverts, and you know, I always slightly laugh when people say to me, well, no, no, I'm watching ITV, they've got adverts, you know, because a bit like, you know, I feel like saying, what, so you never watch, um, you know, Britain's Got Talent, or, uh, you know, or, or, or anything else with adverts on ITV. This, that, is, that is the challenge. There's no question about that. That's the challenge. What I try to do, Oh, and what I say every single time is to try and pick up off each other. You know, try it so, so, and I will often say, I, know, I asked Roy Keane the first question like last night, I'll say to Gary, pick up off Roy because you know what it's going. And therefore, that's two things happen there. One, you get a much more natural balance and flow to a conversation of people are picking up off each other. Um, and two, 
it makes it quicker, obviously, because I haven't got to come in every time. And the worst thing is me question to pundit one, me question to pundit two, me question to pundit three. That's very stilted. Listen, we're the best one in the world. Sometimes it works better than others. Of course it does. But on the whole, that works pretty well. And then it, it also allows me if to... to to, to make it editorially relevant if I feel I need to jump in to do, to do so. There's no doubt it's a, it's a juggling app. But you know what? That's, that's what I'm paid for, to make sure that that works. Is that a little bit easier on radio where you've got a little bit more, you might have a little bit more time, potentially, yeah. and you can go a little bit deeper, whereas in, in, I, I sense in, yeah. in TV it's hard to get deep into an issue, especially if you've got four or five incidents in a half. It's hard to have any depth at all, isn't it? Well, what you have to do then is you have to be selective. Oh, yeah, it's, de- it's, definitely, it's definitely easier on radio because you've, uh, uh, you've got the time. Well, the irony is you won't have as many people on radio. But you, I mean, you just you have the time in radio, absolutely. The, again, the trick is not to... St- uh, 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 we've talked about a lot this during this World Cup is not then to stuff half-time with, uh, with a lot of replays because, A, people who are watching at home want to see the pundits in the studio, physically see them. They want to see them reacting to each other, particularly we've got Slavon Village, who is, you know... Who you can tell Slavom's a centre half. He's always grappling his pundits in a fun way and slapping them on the knee and grabbing them. So they want to see that interaction. They want to see the laughter. And the best way to do that is not to stuff it full of replays. So, for instance, last night at halftime, we did the Sweden goal. Obviously, I'm saying at halftime, and I think we did probably. I, I think we did one of the one of the counter attacks of uh, just to show up how poor Berteng had been. But the rest of the time, we leave the, we left the camera in vision, as it were, so we can see everybody reacting to each other. You know, you you, you have to because of time go for broader broader brush strokes in that sense if you want to call it that, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, it's, it's half-time football analysis. It's not, you know, sit negotiations. Do you know what I mean? You, you've done radio, you've done TV, you had a very long career in, in radio, you, know, st- you still do radio. How much do those disciplines differ? You've talked about it a little bit with those interviews, but, but more broadly, how do they, they differ? Well, I mean, the, the, the most obvious thing, of course, with TV is, is the physical camera. So that discipline differs in a sense that you have to get used to that. Um, and, and it does take every little bit of getting used to when you've, when you've done radio for so long and you, you know, you turn up, put a pair of headphones on and off you go. That, that, that definitely, that definitely is, uh, is the first thing that you have to grapple with. Uh, the next thing is the timing issue. I mean, that, that is, you know, radio. But there is a timing issue, but the thing about radio is you can, it's, it's easy to work it from the back to the front. In other words, from the end of the program, if you've got to be off air at a certain time, because you can have any number of promotional trails you need to make sure that you get off on time. So the timing issue is a big, if, is, is a big one. One we just talked about in terms of half time and full time, in terms of getting off air as well. Uh, in terms of the fact that you have to, we have to engage all your pundits, that, that, you know, that, uh, again, in vision. You know what it is, Richard? It's, it's air miles. It's simply air miles. You just have to do it. It's, it. it's the same as radio in that respect. You simply have to do it. There's nobody in the world who, the first time they sat in front of a television camera, has you gone, well, he's absolutely or she's absolutely brilliant. You just have to keep doing it. But by and large, everything you learn in radio, everything you learn in radio, particularly as a broadcast journalist, so I put the stress on the journalist side in terms of the editorial importance. What's the story here? What is the most important thing that we talk about? What we need to reflect that will be uh, on social media, in the newspapers, is the talking point. Th- those are the same. Those are the same. 
Am I right in thinking you were never a print journalist? You went straight into radio after London College of Printing? Correct, correct. Yeah, I've never been a print... I mean, I've done some writing, but I've never been a print journalist. No, always broadcast. Uh, so you always specialise in that? Was that, was the, that was the aim from the start, to go to radio and then television? Yeah, I mean, the, the, yes. I mean, I, 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 the, the aim was always to go into radio and see what happened. See what happened after that. Absolutely, I always wanted to do. I always wanted to start radio and then just see how it, and then just see how it how it went. And I think people say, "Oh, did you, were you desperate to get into television?" It wasn't that I was desperate to get into television, but I wanted to. I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to see if I could do it for no other reason than see if I could do it. It's as simple as that. I think if, I mean, we're all different, and I've got colleagues who only ever wanted to be in radio and only ever will be in radio, and that's great, and they are brilliant at radio. But I wanted to see if I could do it. It's as simple as that. I would have been, if I hadn't have given it a go and I'd got to the end of my career and I'd have gone, why, why, I wonder if I could have done that. Why, don't, why, don't, why didn't I find out if I could have done it? And it's, you know what? I always say to my kids who are, you know, growing up now, big teenagers, the easiest thing in the world is to do nothing. In other words, it's just to stick what you know, stick to what you can do. But sometimes you need to, you know, dip your toe in the ocean and actually find out, am I actually able to do this? So how did you work your way up? As I said, you did uh, a degree. Where was your degree? Where was your degree? I did a- I did a politics degree at the University of Durham, and I love politics. I'm absolutely fascinated by it. I mean, I still am. I, you know, I'll watch any political program and read. I mean, I'm reading a book about the election r- right now. Um, and then I went to work for local radio. I mean, the analogy is a straightforward one. You know, I went to play for, I went to play for Mansfield Town, and you hope that Manchester United ring you up one day. So I went to work for BBC Essex at local radio. Local radio is just the best fun. Oh, it's such fun. I mean, obviously, two best part of two years there, and you cover the local football teams. I had Southend and Colchester. I had Essex Cricket. Graham Gooch was the England captain. They were winning the championship. I mean, it's tremendous. You do everything in local radio. You report, you commentate, you produce, you drive around the place, you play records on a Saturday afternoon and everything. And then after a couple of years, I mean, I think this, it's still, it's probably changed now, that obviously, this is 25 years ago, then you hope that, that Radio 5 Live ring you up and say, right, you know, in a way, in a way you go from a big fish in a small pond all the way back to the beginning again. And I went to, well, they were still on Radio 5. Five Live started when I'd been in London for about two months. So I've worked there um, non-stop since, when was that, 1994. I mean, obviously I'm down to a day a, day a week now. Um, that was a very, very well-trodden path for my generation. I think still is to some extent. What's the, the, the advice you give to people coming into the in- industry now or trying to come into the industry now? What, what I always say to people when they ask, and, you know, I, 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 people ask quite a lot, which is great because, you know, I ask quite a lot and it's good to give something back in that sense. What I say is you must be, you must be extremely curious. So I always say listen to everything, read everything, watch everything, decide what you like, decide what you don't like, sort of question, why have they done that? I wonder if they could have done that a different way. Um, You've got to be, it's an extremely antisocial business. This is not a job for somebody who wants every weekend off to 
party with their mates or, you know, or play cricket on a Saturday afternoon. I adore cricket. I mean, you know, I've had to, you know, it's finished, you know, hardly ever play cricket now because I'm always working. You have to be extremely tenacious. You've got to work at very antisocial hours. You've got to drive up and down the country. I mean, everywhere. I mean, the amount, I don't do as many miles. The amount of miles I was doing, you know, two or three years ago was just, you know, was just extreme. You've got to, you've got to be able to take the knockbacks. It's not always going to go your way. And please don't think it's always gone my way. It definitely hasn't. I've had to take my knockbacks. Um, you've, you've, got to, you've got to be totally committed to it. Totally committed to it. But, but on the other side, it's been a fabulous career. And the other thing is, which, people, which, which I hope encourages people, you may start out by thinking, I really want to you know, present match of the day or commentate on the World Cup final. It may not go that way, but there are hundreds of jobs in this industry. There are, I mean, you know that from, from, from your working life in, in London and America. There are so many jobs in this industry that people don't see, whether it be a, a TV director, the TV producer, whether it be on the sound side, on the camera side, on the production side in radio and TV, on the research side. I mean, you know, that, that there are a multitude of jobs here. So if you really do love the industry, and you really do want to go into it, go into it with an open mind. And if it becomes apparent for whatever reason that, you know, you're not going to commentate on the World Cup final, well, there might be lots of other things you can still do which involve the World Cup final. I think the other thing is, there's a couple of things at play here, but but for a start, you've got, I mean, I'm producing my own podcast now, I'm no technical whiz, so I can get a podcast out easily, I can get a YouTube channel out easily, so there's other ways of busting that system, but at the same time as well, there's so many more official courses than there used to be in sound engineering, in radio production, so, so there's so much more training ground whether you go an official route or an unofficial route. Well, the guy, uh, Publico in my village, I live in Oxfordshire, his son's just uh, is doing one at Birmingham University. And he said to me the other day, the, 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 the dad, he went, oh, this is what he's doing. I said, well, that's great because, you know, I, obviously I'm working with sound engineers and radio and TV all the time. And as you say, you can make your own way as well. You can have, uh, like you are, your, your, your own podcast, your own blog, your own shows as well. Um, uh, and with your with your own mates. So it's, it's, it's a... It's a fascinating multi that sense. I, I'm never going to say it was easier than when I started, because I think in many ways it's not, because it's so competitive. But when I started, there was no Radio 5, but it did occur. Literally, the, within the first, as I started, Sky started, and then, and then um, Five Life started about a year later. But now, I mean, you know, you've worked at Arsenal, so lots of the big clubs, well, not even the big clubs, lots of clubs have their own... Uh, online presence, don't they? Their own television presence. Um, a lot of universities have their own radio stations, which is a great place to start. I mean, Greg James started on, on his university radio. I know that, right? There was no university radio when I was at Durham. So, so many of these, uh, so many uh, options and places to work, to get experience, because the other thing is, you need to build up your CV. You need to be able to say to people, no good saying, I want to come to on the World Cup final, can I come and work for you? You know, you, you, you need to show people the willing of what you have been doing, particularly if you, we know while you're a student, in the holidays, if you like, to build up your CV. That's what I did. I went and worked in local radio. I grew up in Kent, Sussex border. I used to, in the summer, I used to drive to a radio station in Canterbury for three weeks and, you know, work on their sports shows for nothing. I mean, that's what you have to do. I literally drove over there and, and, and uh, you know, worked work there. So there are lots of opportunities and places where you can do that now. 
even though there are routes via your own YouTube channel, your own podcast or whatever you want to do, is there still a need for formal training and formal scrutiny by your by your peers and more experienced people than you, which is a which well, is a more formal yeah. route? Well, I think that because because they can advise, can't they? They can advise, they can point out where you've gone wrong. They can they can help you along the way. I mean, those courses are very popular, uh, and I know that I'm pretty sure the one I did is still going. Uh, the, well, it's now called the London College of Communication, isn't it? And I always point people towards that one, towards those. That one, there's one at City, isn't it? There's one at Falmouth, there's one in Preston. These are TV, radio, and newspaper, I think, as well now. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so, because it just gives you... If you want to do them, it gives you the official stamp, doesn't it? Um, and as you say, you learn off other people. And that's really interesting, actually. That is a really that is a really good thing to do. Always learn off other people. And I still, you know, you never stop learning, whatever you do in life, and however old you are. And I do still watch, and I watch and listen to people, and I go, well, that was good. Oh, I like that. Or I go, no, I don't like that. That looks a bit clunky to me. And in a way, it's quite right that we are... You're not magpieing off other people. You're not copying them, but you, but you are learning from them. You're thinking, you know, you, you, it, it, it might be something as subtle as how you get off air on a TV or radio program, whatever it is. You know, it, it might be you watch the news and you like the way that they do it. So I, I think it's really, if you keep an open mind in this business, particularly because it's such a visual and audio business, you will always learn off others. What do you think of the real citizen journalists out there in sport these days? We've seen Arsenal Fan TV make a real mark. We've seen IFL TV in uh, boxing do really, really well in terms of uh, YouTube figures and reach and influence. What do you what What do you make of those outlets as a as a journalist, established journalist? I really, ad- I, to be honest with you, I really admire the the occupying of the space. I think the. Um, Conditions have to be absolutely right, and I agree with you on the boxing. I think I think that's that's fantastic, and I follow I follow that on Twitter, so I'm always seeing what they're doing. The Arsenal Fan TV, I think, is absolutely fascinating, and I really admire Robbie for for, for what he's done there. All I would say is. I'm really interested in what happens now that Arsenal have changed their manager. It may well be that they're so established they're fine. But what I mean by the conditions is, if Arsenal have been tootling along, you know, third for the last five, six, seven years, third without any problem and, and, winning, the odd F, and winning the FA Cup as they were, would it have had such a reach? I just, I, I, I wonder whether uh, it's been such a perfect storm for them Arsenal is you know, such a big club, such a perfect storm for them to do so well. Do you take my point? Yeah. Um, but I, I think what they've done is, I think what they've done is fantastic. And people get really exercised about it and go, oh, is this a, if you don't like it, don't follow it. I mean, it's pretty simple. If you don't like something, turn over on radio or TV. <laughs> I can never work, work, work out why people get so exercised by things. So, listen, I'm, it, it's, it's, it's great entrepreneurship and I'm, I'm full of admiration for them. As I say, with Arsenal Fan TV, really interested to see what happens now. As I say, they may be. Est- I suspect they're established enough that they, you know, because uh, and there'll still be some some sort of roller coaster at Arsenal next season, whatever happens, because there's a new manager. Yeah, I'm not going to go down an Arsenal tunnel with you. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to talk about broadcasting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the the I, I was at a I was at a talk. I was a BBC sports journalist there, and they were talking about the fact that. I was surprised because they were talking about the fact that the fan channels, such as the Arsenal Fan TV, Redmen TV, they'd got so established now that they could, they were being asked to be guests on more 
legitimate channels like the BBC. And I thought that was the wrong thing to say because they've got a legitimation, because they've got an audience and they've busted the system. And I think people sit the fan channels right alongside the, the BBCs of this world. They're doing different things. They've got different stories. They're saying things their own way. Um, but they're, they're a legitimate channel now. I think, I think the, the system has been busted there. Do you, do you agree with what I'm saying there? Or do you, is... No, no question, no question. And I know, I, know, I mean, it, 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 it's the nature of what we do. Uh, that, but ITV, I, I, I wouldn't ring Robbie. I mean, I think, as I said, I think he does a great job because there, there, isn't, a, there isn't time or a space for a role for it. But I know I've spoken to Robbie on Five Live, no question about it. No question about it. It's completely legitimized. Um, and, and the same of uh, BT, what we do on a Saturday is we like sort of seven or eight fans to send us little reports before the game and after the game, little 30 seconds of what's gone on. And, you know, Robbie could easily be, be one of those. Oh, no, I think they're completely legitimate. Absolutely. Compl- quite rightly so, because what they're doing is... I suppose the radio would say with, uh, with phone-ins at 6.06 and at Talk Sports, to be fair, they would say they've done this already because they've given the, the fans a voice, obviously by allowing them on the radio to express their views. But I think uh, they're completely legitimate because they've given, if you like, that sort of unvarnished fans' view that the, the mainstream media up to about four or five years ago hadn't really engaged, not to that extent. And I think everybody in the media would accept that. Completely, a completely legitimate view. Just getting back to your career, um, why didn't you become a commentator? I love commentating. I really did. The very simple reason for that. Well, there are two. um, I thought seriously about becoming a football commentator. But clearly I love football. I'm, I'm here now. But I didn't want to just do football. And... I, had a, I remember having a conversation with my wife in sort of late 1990s saying, I've had a couple of opportunities to commentate on football, but I think, but I think it would involve just doing football. And I said to her, and I just get the feeling that that would be great, and it sounds fantastic, but after a while I might be, you know, after a few years I might be going, you know, I, I want to, you know, go somewhere else because I absolutely love cricket and, and I love the Olympics and I love boxing and racing and all this sort of, all this. Um, and that was the first thing. And then the second thing is actually more significant probably is just the level of opportunity. And while I was having all these conversations, the controller of Five Live came to me and he said, uh, Ian Payne is going to move on and we would like you to present Sport on Five, Five Live Sport and Sports Report on a Saturday afternoon. Well, that, you know, if, you, if you're in radio sport, there are probably two things that really stand out. One is to commentate on the World Cup final, and I'm just so delighted my, my good friend John Murray's going to do that because he's a wonderful man. He's a fabulous commentator, but much more importantly, he's a wonderful man. Yeah, and, absolutely um, right about and, that, by the way. And uh, so, so to commentate on the World Cup final or, or present sports support on a Saturday afternoon, and I just thought, well, this is a, this is a fantastic opportunity. I mean, it really is. And also, I, by doing sports support, you know, I knew I was going to go to the Olympics, and I knew I was going to go to Twickenham, and I knew I was going to go to, you know, to the Grand National. Um, and uh, and I thought, well, that that range of um, sport, well, I, I absolutely love because I love other sports as well. So so that's that's the answer to your question. And, I, and that's and I, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I made the right decision there. I mean, I love commentary. Don't get me wrong. I think commentary is great. I love doing it. And I did wrestle. I did wrestle with it. In the end, you can't do both. You have to make a decision. And actually, those a combination of those two, particularly probably the latter, the circumstances. You know, if someone says to you, "You're going to, you know, would you like to present Sport on Five and Sports Report?" You, 
Well, I think you have to have a bloody good reason not to. Do you know what I mean? And as it turned out, I, d I don't think anyone did it for. I did it for 16 years. I don't think anybody's done it for longer. Perhaps certain no one's ever done it for longer. That was that was an enormous privilege. And I still listen to Sports Report theme tune occasionally. I mean, I tend to be working at BT now. And I think, well, that was. You know what? I was incredibly proud to present that program for so long. Who were your heroes growing up in terms of sports broadcasting? I love Barry Davis. I really love Barry Davis. Um, I mean, if you didn't love Des, you didn't really, you didn't really walk on planet Earth, did you? <laughs> <laughs> the way he did it. I tell you, who I massively admired, and I and I know him quite well now. Jim Rosenthal. Jim presented Sport on Two when I was about fourteen, fifteen. I always say this to Jim; it really winds him up no, in a fun way. I remember you, Jim, and doing Sports Report. Um, Brian Moore, huge fan of Brian Moore, and massively underrated Brian Moore as a commentator and a presenter. I mean, he really was. Um, I love cricket. So Richie Benno uh, was a huge Richie Benno fan. Um, so those 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 were sort of those were sort of the people I looked up to when I was growing up. Youngsters now, who who should they look up to? Which are the ones that they should look up to in terms of presenting, in terms of commentating? I, I think they should do what I said a bit earlier, which is watch all of it and listen to all of it, and decide that worked well. I don't like that. Because, you know, one man's means another man's poison. I might say to you, I really like X. And you go, well, I'm not so sure about that, but I really like Y. I think they should look up to all of them. And, of course, what I think is really significant and I'm really happy about is that 20 years ago we'd have had this conversation, wouldn't we, Richard? And we were mainly talking about young men, weren't we? You know, but we're not now, which is fantastic with what's going on at the World Cup with Enya Luca, with us and with Alex Scott and Vicky Sparks has been has been commentating uh, as well for TV and for radio. Um, young boys or girls, you know, teenage boys or girls, they should look up to, 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 to everybody. And of course, you know, I've got Jackie Oatley working with me and Jackie has been the absolute trailblazer for women in football. She really has been. She's done an absolutely sensational job. And a lot of people have been saying she... You know, she took the bullet for, 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 for women in football, you know, in, in many ways a decade ago. So I'm not fudging the question. Look up, to, watch and listen to everybody because somebody that you may like, I don't particularly and vice versa. But just 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 know that there's a lot of professionalism that goes on behind the scenes. There's a lot of hard work that goes on behind the scenes. Everybody's different. Everybody will bring a slightly different approach. But. You know what, particularly for, for, you know, for young teenage girls who would have maybe 20-odd years ago been put off. Don't, don't be now. Do not be now. And in terms of the industry, I was going to ask you a very broad question about industry changes. But one of them is, I would think, that, that certainly 20 years ago you were seen as a, an ITV man or a BBC man. And you would have a, a job where you, would, you might move from one to the other. But it would not be very often. and It would be a, a bit of a seismic shift. You're freelance and you're working for everybody and is, is that the nature of the of the work these days? And that's something else that young people need to think about because being a freelance is, uh, is a precarious business at times. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, no, it, it definitely is a precarious business at times. There's absolutely no question about that. And, uh, you know... You're... It, 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 it comes and goes and you have you have good phases and not such good phases oh, I'm, oh absolutely that's the case but it is a question uh, that, I mean there are still at ITV and BBC there are still a reasonable you know there's still quite a lot of staff jobs I think this is where there is one difference if you tend to be the presenter you 
you know, there, there, there is more of that opportunity for, you know, like me, you know, I work for, I work for four different people most weeks. Um, whereas there's still a lot of staff jobs at the BB, you know, working here, you know, staff production jobs and they tend not to be, fun enough, they tend not to be cameraman jobs. I think they still tend to be more freelance, but you know, the production jobs at the BBC and ITV still tend to be staff. But, but you know, you will be coming into an industry where there is a lot of movement. Now you can be between staff jobs, of course, or you can set yourself up on your own. You can be a freelance like you, like you and I are. If you, but you know, and again, you you have to decide if that fits in with your character. You know, if you are of the sort of personality that goes, no, I want to know how much I'm being paid every month. There's a there's a company pension at the end of it. That if I get ill, I'm looked after. Um, you know, and I haven't got to worry about going to work. Then you know you need to decide what sort of uh, what sort of path you want to go down. Um, if you're happy like you are and I am to effectively look after yourself, which is what we have to do, then you know there is there is a there is a level of flexibility out there certainly for for those in front of camera or behind the microphone that there wasn't 20 years ago. That that can only be a good thing. In what ways do you think the industry is going to change again in the next couple of decades? I mean, it's changed massively with technology. It always changes with technology. I think digital and social has had a massive, massive influence in terms of opportunity and the fact that everybody can create their own content. But, but what nuggets, what small things do you think are going to be changing going forward? I think the whole Amazon to, to match date deal is very interesting because... You know, is that is that a sprat to catch a mackerel? Are they just dipping their toe in the water to see ooh, what's out there? And if they are and they like it, well, then of course uh, that will just attract other broadcast, uh, other other media outlets out there. Oh, I mean, we all know who they are: Facebook, Apple, Netflix, whoever they may be, to come in. Um, and these and these people obviously have gigantic budgets so i think that that i think that is the most significant thing along with and i think the changing of the international tv ratio deal was very significant because it's the first just a little chipping away isn't it of the collective bargaining that's been so successful in the premier league and if you look at who owns our biggest football clubs well there are a lot of americans that are on there who still can't quite get their head around the fact that people can't watch the club that they own every single game from the comfort of their armchair like they can in America. So I think, you know, there's no question that's something that they want. That they want it, of course they want it. You know, at Manchester United and at, and at Liverpool and Arsenal, they, they, the owners want their fans to be able to watch every single game without leaving their armchair. So I think those are the, the two big significant things that are going to happen in the next 15, 20 years or, 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 or keep an eye on what happens in the next, not even 15, 20 years, in the next 10 years. You talk about those big changes, seismic changes. It, it, it seems essential as a journalist, as a presenter, someone who's, who's the face of a channel in, in something like the World Cup, you've got to maintain a boyish or a, a young person, shall I say, enthusiasm for the sport because it, it's a job, there's money involved, there's social media, there's people having a go at you all the time, there's pressure, and yet you've got to maintain that enthusiasm. Is that hard to do? Do you know what? It's not hard to do uh, because if it were hard to do, I shouldn't be doing it. And I know it's flippant to say that, but, but you know, listen, we all have bad days and you can all wake up and you can, you know, your dog's been sick in your shoe and you're late for work, you know what I mean? And you've got a cold and you've had an argument with your wife or your husband or whatever. But, but I think, 
you know, I, I think I'm quite good. I, I hope I'm quite good in terms of my temperament, you know, which I think I probably thank my father for, that I'm quite good at going, right, actually, okay, stop, stop moaning. You know, once you get to work, stop moaning. Red light goes, you're at the World Cup or you're, you know, you're watching whatever it is. Come on, you have a, a duty here to, to portray this. And actually, I tell you, I'll tell you a little story. I mean, kids, eh, honestly. My son's 20. I mean, he's absolutely sport mad. And he's, the one thing he said to me before I left was, uh, right, he said, you need to be as enthusiastic for Costa Rica v Switzerland as you will for England v Brazil. And I thought, well, that's, that's quite, that's quite a pithy comment from him. So I have that in the back of my mind as well. Um, you know, it's, it's, if you can't be excited about it, you really shouldn't be in it. It's, it's what we say about players, isn't it, Richard? If you can't get up for a World Cup quarterfinal, you shouldn't be a footballer. It's exactly the same thing. And I think I'm, I hope I'm quite good that, you know, whatever my day has been like off air, when the red light goes, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go and, and I'm upbeat for it. Do you consider this perhaps the highlight of your career so far? The fact that you're a lead presenter for one of the main UK broadcasters at the World Cup finals? Yeah, I think so. I, th I think it would be disrespectful and flippant not to say so. I mean, I got a, my my wife sent me a card. In fact, I've got it in front of me here. It was really. I mean, we were you, we met we met at university, and I don't. Uh, and it was during Italia '90, and uh, and actually, she's really to think back in Durham '1990 that you'd be presenting the World Cup later. Uh, as a as a as a presenter is great. So I think yeah, no, definitely, no, no. I think it abs it absolutely is, and that's not to disparage anything I've done before. And as I said, I'm enormously proud of of all the work I did on radio and sports report and sport on five. But yeah, to be to be to be the to the lead presenter in a World Cup and uh, when England played their last sixteen game. And hopefully their semi-final because obviously we flip-flop with the BBC who does it. it is, is, oh, it's a lot of responsibility as well. I mean, it's a lot of responsibility along the lines of try not to cock it up responsibility. Do you know what I mean? Um, yes, I would say absolutely it's the highlight. When you present something like this, the World Cup or the Olympics, when you get back to England, do people... To people who you don't know, act as though they know you because they've been you've been a part of their lives for a month or three weeks or whatever it is. So do they act differently towards you? Do you know what? I honestly think the answer to that is they only act differently towards it if you are actively looking for it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I, I, you know, I go home and I and I, you know. I walk my dogs and I, you know, hang out with my family and I, you know, I have a, and I live out, I live out in the country and I, I get on with it. I mean, people in my village know what I do, but they, they're wonderful. They couldn't give a monkey. I just live in the village. Do you know what I mean? I go to the pub. Um, I, I think, I, I honestly believe that only happens if you, if you want it. You know, if you want that sort of side of it and you actively look for it. I suppose, if, if I'm going to be absolutely honest with you, having such a strange surname, obviously people twig. You know, and they go, well, there can't be too many of you called that. So they might say, you know, they might say something along that. They're always, I have to say, people are always very nice. Mind you, you're never going to say to somebody, are you that bloke? Oh, I think you're rubbish. I mean, you'd be slightly bizarre players. You can say it on Twitter, couldn't you? But you wouldn't say it to someone's face necessarily. But I think, I think, I think only, I think that only happens if you're actively looking for somebody to pat you on the back. And that's not really my style. Last one. What do you want from the World Cup? As a, as a football fan, what do you want from the World Cup? I want progressive, attacking, exciting football to prevail. 
I don't want VAR to. I mean, of course, I want the right decisions, but I, you know, I don't want the winning goal in the World Cup final and somebody's dream as they sprint down the touchline to be interrupted by by somebody, you know, making a square in the air. I accept they might have to. Uh, you know, I was talking to Ian Wright the other day, and he was like, "Well, what do I do?" He said, "You know, every time I score a goal, I take off. What would I be doing now, looking over my shoulder? Obviously, I'd love England to win the World Cup, but I just, but I want England on the assumption they're not. I want England to to carry on." Uh, again, being progressive, we can see what they're trying to do, enjoying their football, uh, and if they go out and say the quarterfinals, having having done all that, that would be great. I want it to be safe here. I don't want I don't want anybody to do anything daft. The England fans have behaved so far. I really want them to carry on doing that. I don't. I, be, I want everybody to. I want the football to remind us why it's the greatest game in the world and why it has this pulling power. And it's extraordinary to see so many Peruvians in Mexico and so uh, in Moscow and so many Mexicans in Moscow. And I, and I want football to to remind us all of of its pulling power and why we all love it so much. Mark Pugach, thank you very much. My pleasure. You've been listening to Sport, Digital and Social with Mr. Richard Clark. Rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. You can find Richard on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram by searching for at Mr. Richard Clark or at his website, MrRichardClark.com.